It's a great joy to be with you. When the plane landed, I told Peter, who was picking me up, Peter Sidrak, I told him, what's this white stuff outside? I forgot all about this. We don't see it as down south, so very different. But it's a joy to, to be amongst you and to see um, so many people come for this retreat. And uh, before I even start, Yanni, you, you know, on a retreat, it's good that we have, you know, fellowship and spend time with one another, but also... Take some quiet, I know there's quiet time in the schedule, do take some quiet time for you to reflect and see, you know, what it is God wants you to do, what it, how, how you could truly walk out of a retreat transformed, how you could be changed. And so that you don't just come for another social event, yes, there's some great social things going on, but also having benefited from a word from God, however you receive that word, Walk out transformed, applying something in your life. Abuna yesterday was sharing how, you know, when he called me, I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, so to fill you in a little bit more, when Abuna called me, um, he, I told him, Abuna, like, I have a retreat. I was at a college retreat last weekend, left the college retreat, went to high school girls retreat, and then came straight here. So when Abuna called me, I was like, Abuna, I already have like several retreats. I'm not really sure I can. But I had just finished talking, like he was saying to the monks and brothers. And at the end of my talk, I got up to pray. And I don't know what got into me. I told them, this is the beginning of Kiak. St. Mary's our model. She said yes to the Lord at all times in her life. We need to say yes. And so when Abuna called me, I was like, what did I just do to myself? <laughs> um, and then I told Abuna, let me check my schedule. I looked at my schedule, and literally the three days I have empty are these three days. I was like, okay. So I called him back, and I said, I'll be coming. Um, Is there a way to do the screen, like the, to have my notes here? The, like, I don't want to, I don't want the presenter notes, from, like I want to do it here, you know? Yeah. Can you just play it off your laptop and then I'll I'll run this here on my own. Here, you, you know here. Actually, oh, you just have to turn on. It's okay. I'll I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it and leave it. Sorry. Okay. 
the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. I'm going to start from a passage from Exodus of Moses the prophet, chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And glory be to our Holy Trinity, the Holy Trinity, our God. Amen. When we look at this passage, Moses is a man that we know had a very intimate relationship with, the, with our God. He had the ability, as God told Moses, uh, his brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, with the prophets, I speak to them in a vision when I want to say something. But with Moses, I speak to him face to face. He had that ability to speak to God face to face on the mountain. He spoke face to face. And yet, in this scene here at the burning bush, it says that Moses was afraid to look upon God. And when you look at the stages of life in the life of Moses, Moses' life is divided into three 40s. The first 40 years in Egypt, not much is known about him, not, nothing special. The next 40 years, again, nothing significant where we say, wow, Moses is a man of God. Moses is a man that knows God really well. But the last 40 years is where you know, Moses' life is one where he leads a people, listens to the voice of God, and uh, delivers a people through the direction of God, leading them in the wilderness. How did Moses get to that stage? It's this encounter here. It's that transformative encounter at the burning bush that led to Moses basically leading a people and getting to know God really well. And yesterday, you know, George talked about this, the word awe, the sense of awe. And, you know, I don't have it anywhere in my presentation, but I feel like I want to plug it in everywhere now. Awe, that's what Moses experienced. This awe at the burning bush, this transformative moment is what really led to Moses knowing God. And we too want to know God the way Moses did. And so although Moses began simply, he had an experience that was transformative that led him to truly understand God. St. Basil the Great, before we get into Moses and what he did that we can imitate St. Basil the Great says, I am struck by a kind of shuddering fear and a cold terror, lest through this traction of mind or preoccupation with vanities, I fall away from God's love and become a reproach to Christ. And that's one of our problems. What St. Basil the Great is saying here is what we should all be repeating. I'm afraid that the distractions of this world, the things that keep me away from focusing and thinking about what is superior to all the tangible things before me, the experience of God. No, I prefer the experience of the materialistic, the worldly, the, the, the physical. And because of that, I'm so distracted. I'm distracted by my phone. I'm distracted by social media. I'm distracted by the people around me. I'm distracted by my personal ambitions that may be rooted in self-love, 
and pride and so on. And so St. Basil, Basil is saying, I'm afraid that through all these distractions, I fall away from truly knowing him, from truly loving him, if I'm preoccupied with all these things. And each one of us needs to reflect, what are these distractions in our life? Is it my work? Is it my friends? Is it my phone? Is it my gadgets? Is it the, the, the person in my life that keeps me away from truly connecting with God? Each person knows him or herself or should reflect and get to know him or herself. You know, yesterday somebody was asking me something from the letters of Ava Antony. And St. Antony and many of the other saints, St. Clement of Alexandria, St. Augustine, they all repeat it, but differently. If I want to know God, I need to know myself. St. Augustine says, grant me, O Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know you. And so part of it is truly knowing myself in order to be able to know God. I'm not going to talk about the knowledge of self, but more here, I want you to reflect on what are these distractions in your life that may be keeping you away from knowing God. And so here, we're going to reflect on the transformative moment in Moses' life, and it begins with him retreating into his job, basically, those 40 years in the desert, was tending some sheep. He's taking the, the, the flock and walking them, taking them in the wilderness and tending them. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So he was in the desert. That was his occupation, being in the desert with the sheep alone. We think of David the prophet, same thing, like in the beginning of his life, he's a shepherd tending the flock, having these quiet moments with the Lord. And for us too, in order to have the experience of Moses, that transformative experience where I truly begin to know God. And the idea of knowing God here, it's a lifetime journey. It's not something like, again, George mentioned this yesterday. It's not a mental knowledge. It's not something where I say, oh yeah, I know him. No, he reveals himself to me gradually over time. And it's lifetime until I pass and go to heaven God, by God's grace. And there I get to know him even more fully. But here on earth, I journey. And so there's no moment in life where you'll say, oh yeah, I really know God. But I grow in that knowledge of God as he reveals himself to me. But how can I really experience that revelation? It's in the divine presence in solitude. I need those moments of silence, those moments of retreats, like Moses, like King David, like many of the saints that came before us. They would spend time quietly, Without distractions, if St. Basil is saying, I'm worried about the distractions taking me away from the love of God and the knowledge of God, then I need to realize I need those quiet moments to push away these distractions, to, to, to keep these distractions away from me in order to focus on uh, the knowledge of God. Ava Isaac the Syrian says, sit in the presence of the Lord. Sorry, I forgot to switch the slides on the other iPad, forgive me. So this was the saying of St. Basil that I read earlier. Um, and then Abba Isaac the Syrian said, Sit in the presence of the Lord every moment of your life as you think of him and recollect him in your heart. Otherwise, when you only see him after a period of time, you will lack the freedom of, to converse with him out of shame. For a great freedom of conversation is born out of constant association with him. What Abba Isaac the Syrian is saying here, when I sit in the presence of God, Often, when I practice this idea of retreat often, then I'll find that there is freedom of converse. Like Moses, 
Yeah, he's in the wilderness. He begins to experience the presence of God. And then he begins having the, the, the constant conversation with God on the mountain. He experiences him face to face. He walks away, glory shining on his face. Because he's in the presence of God at all times. Ava Isaac is telling us, the more we converse with him, the more we have freedom, boldness in prayer. But the less we spend time with him, the more I feel like, what am I going to say? Can I really talk to him about this? What about this sin? What about this weakness? I'm ashamed. I can't really stand before him. I can't really discuss this with him. And so to have this boldness, I need, again, to sit in the presence of God often. One of the Eastern Orthodox uh, fathers, priests, passed away maybe five, no, six, seven years ago, Father Thomas Hopko. He says, in order to pray, you've got to be quiet. In order to get to know your children, you've got to be quiet. In order to get to know your spouse, you've got to be quiet. In order to get to know yourself, you've got to be quiet. And in order to get to know God, you've got to be quiet. Again, if I want to know anybody, any real person, if I'm constantly speaking, if I'm all constantly talking, then I'm not going to hear anything from the other person. I'm not going to get to know them. If I'm constantly distracted, today in the society we live in, we see this all the time. You're sitting at a dinner table or you're sitting on the couch with people you supposedly love and yet you're on your phone. Well, not you, but many people are on their phones. Spending time, supposedly, again, quality time, but they're distracted with their gadgets. And so are you really spending time with that person? Are you really getting, getting to know that person when you're constantly on your phone distracted? No. I have to quiet down the distractions in order to hear that other person, in order to converse with that other person, in order to really get to know that other person. And it is so with God. I need to quiet down again those distractions uh, in order to get to know him truly. Um, and so uh, father, one of the, the fathers, again, Eastern Orthodox fathers, he says, this woman went to a monastery, a convent, and one of the sisters there in the convent told her, you know what, you need to simply uh, spend time uh, with God. Spend time, sit, and be quiet with God. So she didn't understand. What does that mean, sit and be quiet with God? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, what, what do I do in this quiet time? So she went back to the sister and asked her, what do I do? Like, what do you mean, just sit and be quiet? And so this, this nun, this sister said to her, we waste time with those we love. Prayer is wasting time with God. And although this sounds like, you know, the word waste is sound, sounds like, you know, I'm wasting time as in like it's un, invaluable. The real idea here is I have no problem giving him my time. I waste that time. I'm, I'm content being in his presence. Do we have that mentality of, yeah, I'll go spend some quiet time with him. I'll waste the time. Instead of saying, you know what, I want to kill time and watch Netflix Instead of saying, I want to, you have Netflix up here, I'm pretty sure, so. <laughs> so instead of saying, you know, I, I, I'm killing time, or whatever word, like whatever way you want to kill time, no. How many of us say, I'm going to kill time with God? Not too long ago, I was reading part of Ava Isaac the Syrian's, uh, one of his homilies, and something like stuck out to me. He was saying, true wisdom is gazing at God. How beautiful is that? True wisdom is gazing at God. How many of us just think of like gazing at God? This awe, just gaze, like when you gaze at some, like when you're gazing at something or someone, 
It's like, I am in awe. True wisdom is this awe, gazing at God. Do we do that? There's a story um, about St. Jean Vanier was a Catholic saint, and he has some beautiful writings, and in one of his things, he talks about this man, this peasant man, who used to go on the way to work, pass by the church, and sit there in a pew in the morning for maybe half hour or so. I, don't, I can't remember the length of time, but a short period of time, and he'd just sit there quietly. The church is empty, and he would just sit there. After work, he would pass by the church again and then sit there for a longer extended period of time, again quietly in that empty church. And so after a few times, St. Jean Vanier went up to him and he said, what do you do? The church is empty. What do you say? And this blessed man, this, this farmer, this worker said, I don't say anything. I look at him and he looks at me and we are happy. This wasting of time in the presence of God, this contentment in the divine presence, this awe in being before him. This is what we want to do. This is how we grow. And it could start with something simple. You might say, okay, I'm, you're talking about something that those saints are doing. I can't even sit for like five minutes quietly. Okay, that's fine. In the book, Beginning to Pray, Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, he says something beautiful. He says, um, in order to grow in, in, in you know, your, your quiet time and your ability to basically do this, start with something very short. Something like whatever the, with the direction of your spiritual father, of course, but something could be done like a minute of complete quietness in the divine presence. I'm gazing. I'm, I'm just in his presence, doing nothing. Keep your phone, your gadgets away from that quiet area you're going to be in. No distractions for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. And as you do this, you'll find those moments become more precious. Initially, your thoughts are all over the place. Initially, you're thinking about a thousand things. Initially, you can't even stand the minute. But then you train yourself and you quiet down. And then that minute becomes precious to you and you want to do it over and over. And it turns into five minutes and 10 minutes and 15 minutes with the blessing again of your spiritual guide. And you'll find you grow in this. You'll find that, yes, what sounds right now, maybe to some of you like, yeah, this is like la-la land or something that's you know, not really attainable, or maybe because I'm a monk, I'm saying this. No, lay people do this, by the way. Like people like you guys, and maybe people amongst you do this. It's attainable. But start with baby steps. Don't say because something... You know, sometimes we speak about the, the objective or what it is we try to do and look at it and say, well, this is unattainable. We say this because it sounds like God himself says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. He sets a goal before us. Am I perfect today? No, but I want this. And so I take the baby steps to get there. I don't say because it's such a high degree of spirituality or a high way or, or something far from the way I live right now that I can't do it. Take that one baby step and get there eventually. And so put in the effort. St. Augustine, again, you know, he says, Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new. Late have I loved you. You are with me, but I was not with you. And the reality is God is with us at all times. The presence, the divine presence is always with us. 
Problem is, we don't make ourselves present to him. And again, he repeats what St. Basil the Great says, the lovely things kept me far from you. The distractions keep me far from you. And so, yeah, I can experience the divine presence if I quiet down those distractions in my life. You're there all along, Lord. Elijah, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, he says, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, he's aware of the divine presence. He's aware that he's there. I can practice saying words like this, like Elijah, as the Lord lives before whom I stand. As the Lord lives before whom we sit right now. And repeating this brings to remembrance the fact that he is present. And it pushes me to make myself present before him. Jacob, in his vision of the latter, said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Again, I didn't know it. And sometimes, again, because of the distractions, we simply don't know. Sometimes, because we don't take retreats on our own, you know, when, when Amba Basil and I got ordained uh, to the bishopric, we went to visit his eminence, Metropolitan Bachomius in Bahira. And his eminence is, is you know, a school of virtue and, and spirituality. And I remember one of the things he said to us, he said, make sure that you always have retreats. And he said, on a daily basis, spend a little time. On a weekly basis, dedicate a little bit more time. On a monthly basis, even more time. And then on a yearly basis, have a set retreat for yourselves. And this applies to all of us. It's important to have these retreats. But sometimes we, we don't do it. We don't set time aside. And so God comes along and forces a retreat, gives us an opportunity to spend time with him, gives us some sort of event in our lives where we kind of have to sit still, take a break from the, the day-to-day life and relax a little. What do we do with these forced retreats? You know, like I said, Moses, maybe it was his wilderness, so he had to do it. But sometimes in our lives too, we find there are forced retreats. We pass through the era of COVID. I think here in Canada, you're a little bit more strict with your COVID restrictions. Yes, <laughs> Joe, Joe definitely uh, agrees. Um, but like even many of us got COVID. You know, when we got sick with COVID, what did we do at the time? Yes, the first few days you're, you're down and like you're, you're tired and exhausted. But then as you recover and you're fine and you still have to stay confined until you're fine and you don't want to infect anybody, you're in your house. What do you do with that forced retreat? You're forced to stay at home. What do you do? Do you binge watch a show? Are you constantly on your phone, on social media, checking every post? Or do you see this as an opportunity where God is knocking on your door and saying, Habibi, Habibti, I want to spend five minutes with you. I want to spend 10 minutes with you. I want to spend some time with you. You haven't been listening to me. You haven't been spending any time. I love you. And I want some time. Do we look at these opportunities with that lens in our lives? When I was in the monastery, I was in charge. I was the Rubita for a while. And I remember, you know, as, as a person in charge, you're constantly doing many things, trying to please the visitor, trying to please the monks and the novices and this and that. And it, it's busy. It's constantly busy. And at one point, I had to have ankle surgery. And so for two weeks... After ankle surgery, the doctor said, you don't move from your room. You can go to the bathroom and back to your bed, but you don't move. So I was like, okay. 
Um, and so the monks but had to carry the load for me and do the different chores and things and whatnot. And so I was in my cell for two full weeks, and I was like, wow, this is nice. But it was God. God was saying to me, slow down. I want to spend time with you. I want quality time with you. And so, yeah, in the monastery, thank God, I didn't have like, you know, any shows to watch or anything. So I'm left in my cell. What am I going to do in my cell? I have a Bible. I have some books. So I open them and then I sleep and then I pray. And that's it. That's all one can do. Practice that when you have those forced retreats to turn to God and say, maybe, maybe he wants time with me. In a book called Father Arseni, it's a beautiful book, many stories in it. Uh, it's about this uh, Russian monk who is thrown into confinement. Long story, but it's during the, the Stalin era, communism, and so on. And in the story, there's a point where this young man uh, is stripped of his clothing and beat up and so on. So Father Arseni intervenes and tries to help this young man. And because, you know, he did this, he and this young man are thrown into a confinement cell outside. It was negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit outside. And they're thrown into this confinement cell. The young boy, Alexei, is beat half dead. So he can't really stand. He can't do much. He's lying on the ground. And Father Arseni is this old, frail man. And they're thrown into the confinement cell and told, you're in there for 48 hours locked up. And it's freezing outside. And so everybody in the, the camp is saying, these, these guys are dead. They're done. Like, this is their death. And the only people that had ever survived in that confinement cell in those temperatures were only able to survive for 24 hours by jumping up and down the whole time to keep their bodies a little bit warm. But this is an old man who can't jump. And the other kid, Alexei's on the ground, half dead. He can't move. And so they're in the confinement cell. Alexei's, you know, basically murmuring and saying, you know, like, this is my fault. We're going to die. I'm so sorry. And all he sees, he looks up and he sees Father Arseni's lips moving. He's like, what are you doing? He was an un, a non, non-believer initially, this Alexei. And he sees Father Arseni's lips moving. And he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm praying. He's like, what are you praying about? What are you doing praying? And Father Arseni said to him, look, we're here all alone. For two days, no one will come. We will pray. For the first time, God has allowed us to pray aloud in this camp with our full voice. We will pray, and the rest is God's will. In this camp, they weren't allowed to pray. In this camp, they weren't allowed to say the name of God out loud. And he looked at this confinement, this forced retreat, this moment where people were looking at, this is your death, as an opportunity. An opportunity of spending this retreat with God, of praying, of speaking to him. And he did. And as he's praying the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Alexei was watching him and he found himself starting to repeat what Father Arseni is saying. And then he found that the confinement cell turned into this bright light and they found themselves in like this church. Alexei thought he was dead. You know, he's like, am I dead? What's going on? Um, And then eventually there's like noise outside. They're back in the cell. The guards are back. They're opening the confinement cell and they're surprised that they're alive. The two days passed. They were mystically guarded from the cold and protected through these prayers and found themselves alive and saved. The point isn't the miracle. 
The point is what Father Arseni did. In a situation where he could have just moaned, like murmured and said, Khalas, yani, I'm, 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 I'm going to die. He said, no, this is my opportunity to pray. This is my opportunity where I was restricted before to actually raise my voice and say something to God. Number two, so number one is this retreat idea. Take time in the presence of God. Number two, when we look at Moses, it said, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. You know, when you read this, what is the back of the desert? Have any of you gone to the desert before? Like, what, what's the back of the desert? I lived in the Mojave Desert for two and a half years. I don't know what the back of the Mojave Desert is, right? Like, but one interpretation of this, one commentary on this, is the idea that Moses, this idea of going to the back of something, Moses kept going. That day, he didn't just take his flock to the normal areas where he tended them. He went beyond. And when we go beyond our norm, when we do more than what we're used to doing, we begin to encounter God. We begin to have the vision of God. We begin to know him. We begin to experience revelation of God in our lives. He didn't use the usual route. And so beyond the usual, beyond the usual in my prayers, beyond the usual in my readings, beyond the usual in my service, beyond the usual in my forgiveness of others, beyond the usual in my commitment, beyond the usual in my personal struggles, even when I'm tired and exhausted, beyond the usual. Let's take prayer as an example. Prayer, yani if we pray, look at the, the prayers you've been doing the last, say, five years. Has there been growth? Has there been a change? Or am I praying the same psalm or two? And it's the same psalm because it's the short one. And Abuna told me, pray a psalm in the Igbeya. So I picked the shortest one. And I feel like, okay, I did what I'm supposed to do and that's it. Or am I actually saying, you know what? No, I want to go through all the psalms and pray them. And I want to grow and I want to pray more. Do I go to my spiritual father and say, Abuna, you know what? I've been praying one, two, three, four size psalms the last you know, year, two years, five years. I want to pray a little more. I want to pray an extra hour. I want to go beyond in my prayers. I want to go beyond in my relationship with the Lord. Beyond the boundaries, God is clear. I was at a college retreat, um, and the retreat ran behind schedule. And so we were doing tazbeha, and it was getting late, and they still had stuff after tazbeha. And so, you know, I figured, okay, so that it doesn't go too long for them, we're going to skip the long hymns. We're just going to say them quickly so that they can continue with their activities after. And I found many of the youth came up to me and said, you know, can we do the long hymns? Can we still say it? I was like, you sure? And they said, yes, we want to do them. So I said, okay, we'll do the long hymns. And we prayed the whole tazbaha. And I looked at the, 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 the it wasn't a church, the hall like this, um, and it was full. Almost all of them were present. Almost all of them were there praying and praising, and their voices were heard. One of the visiting priests was from California, and he came to me afterwards and said, this was one of the most beautiful tazbahas I've ever attended. It's not because a beautiful voice was leading the tazbaha. Nothing to do with the voices. Nothing to do with any of that. It had to do with the spirit. The spirit of the people there, the group there, those college students there, 
wanting to go beyond. That spirit led Abuna to experience something that he felt was beautiful. And so we too, when we go beyond, the presence of God is felt. When we push, we experience grace in our lives. And so um, do we push in our lives? I remember a story I had heard about this bishop. Um, when he was a novice in the monastery, he was a novice back in the, I think in the 60s, early 60s, um, in one of the monasteries in Wadil Natrun. And um, the monastery at the time, he was in charge of the kitchen. The monastery at the time didn't have like the, the, the appliances that we have today. And they were getting the, the visit of 11 bishops in the, in the monastery. When you have a, vis- a bishop visiting the monastery, usually like, you know, prepare almost a banquet for them and it's like very like elaborate and you do all these things for them so this monk or this novice at the time was in charge of the kitchen so he has to he's told 11 bishops are coming that's like half the synod at the time like that's like so so he has to prepare breakfast lunch dinner and he's like okay so i have to get up so he got up really early. He got up at like 3 a.m. and started the preparation. Because, again, if you're going to cook a piece of chicken, it's not the oven that we have today. It's not the stovetop that we have today. And so it's very different. So he had to like work nonstop from 3 a.m. Thank you. From 3 a.m., he says, all the way to 8 p.m., he's on his feet working, 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 preparing the food and presenting the food and so on. He gets to his cell. If, you know, if you're up from three to eight on your feet working and it's exhausting, you're exhausted. You just can't, and you're, you're really tired. And he says, I didn't pray a single psalm of my canon. And the monk's canon is the whole Igbeya, from cover to cover, like it's the whole thing. And so he hadn't touched anything. So he said to himself, you know what, I'm just going to push a little and pray the veil hour, the prayer of veil and it's one hour, but it covers psalms from every one of the hours, the canonical hours. So he started praying, and he was exhausted. His eyes are shutting, his legs are tired, his back's hurting. And he started praying, and he says, I got to that part in Psalm 4 that says, Let the light of your face shine on us. And the moment he said that word, Let the light of your face shine on us, his cell was engulfed with light. And he says, the pain that he was experiencing, the physical fatigue disappeared. And obviously, if you experience a, a beautiful miracle like this, what do you do? He prayed the whole Iqbaya from, you know, he, he went back and he started first hour, third, and so on. He prayed the whole thing. But the point, again, of what I'm saying is this monk, as a novice back then, went beyond, pushed himself. When he was exhausted, when he could have had the perfect excuse to say, you know what, God knows I was serving him all day. God knows how tired I am. He pushed. That's why Abba Isaac the Syrian says, and I'm paraphrasing this because I don't remember the exact quote, but he says, there's a special angel of grace for nighttime prayers. And so when we push ourselves a little bit, yeah, I'm tired after a long day at work, or I'm tired after a long day at school, or I'm tired after a long day of service. And I want to, you know, fulfill my spiritual canon, but my body is, is aching. And I, I feel like I just want to lay down, crash. No, push a little and experience the angel of grace in your life. Experience when the angel of grace appears and helps you and supports you. 
how the vision of God and the knowledge of God begins to be real in your life. And so Moses went beyond. Do we go beyond in our lives? Number three, pause and meditate. And so it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Moses sees an odd vision and he marvels. He doesn't just pass by it. He could have protected his sheep, his flock, and just continued. Something's burning in the wilderness. But he stops. He pauses. He meditates. He's in awe. And he doesn't just pass by that. He does something about it. And so a bush is burning. He's marveling, yes, at nature. And so nature is a way for us to see the hand of God in our lives, the hands of God who drew nature, who made everything, who made the sky. You know, in the Psalm, Psalm 18, in the Agbeah, we pray, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his anyark. I keep forgetting to switch slides. The, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, utter speech. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, I, I remember one of the monks in the abbey, he loves um, nature. And he has this app on his, uh, on his phone. Like, you see him walking, and it's like he's walking with the phone, Kida, and looking at the stars, and he sees the constellations, and he sees the... He marvels. He marvels. He, he enjoys God's nature. And, and it, it leads him to experience the, the presence of God and the knowledge of God in his life. Um, do we pause when God speaks to us? God speaks to us in many ways. God speaks to us through sermons. God speaks to us in scripture. God speaks to us in the liturgy. God speaks to us in our prayers. God speaks to us when we open a spiritual book. God can even speak to us through a little child. When a word of God comes to us, do I pause? Do I pause and see what it is he's saying to me? Do I pause and meditate on the word of God? Think about it throughout the day. Do, you know, sometimes we think, okay, I don't have time to really memorize scripture. I don't have time to really read much. Take a verse and repeat it throughout the day. Let that verse preoccupy you. The Desert Father, St. John Cassian, in his conferences, he talks about the Desert Fathers of Egypt in the fourth century. They would take that first verse from Psalm 69 in the Agbeya, make haste to God to help me, make haste to save me. And they would repeat it all day. And that's one form of the arrow prayer. They would repeat it constantly. When I take a verse and meditate it and say, Lord, this is the verse that I'll keep in my heart and mind throughout the day to remind me of your presence, to lead me to you. When things happen, when a temptation comes, when a thought comes and I call upon him using that verse, I'm able to resist. I'm able to push back temptation. I'm able to come into the divine presence and say, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. The remembrance of God in that way helps us resist the various distractions that come to us, that take us away from the presence of God. When I first came out of the monastery, someone gifted me, you know, an Apple Watch. And so when I got the Apple Watch, okay, I put it on, and then not too long after, the watch is telling me, breathe. <laughs> so I'm like, Anansita, breathe, why is it telling me? What am I supposed to do with this? So I was telling someone, one of the, the young men, I was talking, what is this? It's telling me, breathe, like, can you shut this off? 
And he's like, yeah, you can. Like, there's a setting, you can shut it off. But then he taught me a lesson. It was beautiful. He said to me, Abuna, I, I have an Apple Watch too, and I kept that breathe notification on. And it reminds me every time that it says this, to say the Jesus prayer. Linking things to God, right? I pause and meditate and link things to God. And so breathe. Okay, Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Remember him throughout the day. I go through the doorway. Remember him. Link things to him. Things that make sense to you that will remind you of him so that you are constantly remembering who is in your life. Constantly pushing away the distractions to remember him. The devil throws the distractions. You want to push them away. You want to block them by the remembrance of his holy name, by the remembrance of who he is and what he does in your life. And so Moses did that in that he paused and he said, what's going on with this? He meditates on the sight that's before him. He thinks, he ponders, he, he, he meditates on it. And this meditation can purify us, can uh, lead us to understand um, God better as Moses did and lead a face-to-face -face encounter, which Moses later experienced in his life. And so any question you ask in meditation is a, is a fine question. Ask the questions. Like, Lord, why this? Lord, why that? Meditate on it. And all these are valid things that you can do in your meditations. Number four, pause and listen. Pause and listen. Ava Isaac the Syrian. So it says also about Moses, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush saying, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. God's calling. Moses, Moses. God's calling you and saying something. And he has a message for you every day. He has a message for you. And he wants to reveal himself to you every day so that you know him better a little bit more today. What do you do? Do you respond, here I am, as Moses did? And to do that, yes, I pray. Yes, I spend time with him. But I need to listen. Moses listened. He paused and listened. Of Isaac, sorry, it's not of Isaac, uh, John Saba, the spiritual elder, he says, silence your tongues so that your heart may speak. Silence your heart that God may speak. I silence this so that my heart begins to speak. If I'm constantly using my tongue, then I'm not really paying attention to what's inside. When I silence what's inside, then I begin to hear God more and more clearly. Mother Teresa, the beautiful Catholic saint, she said, God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer. And that's what Moses did. He listened. He listened carefully and attentively. God has a message for each one of us. Do we listen carefully? Metropolitan Anthony Boom in his book, Beginning to Pray, he shares this story about when he's giving this sermon. At the end of the sermon, this young little girl comes up to him and she says to him, Father, you must be a really great sinner. And he says, yes, but how, how did you know? <laughs> and so she said to him, you know, you described our sins so well. <laughs> you must be really good at it. <laughs> but the point here is Metropolitan Anthony Boone was saying, this girl spoke truth to me. This girl spoke to me the word of God. Something about myself, that's true. I am a sinner and I am a great sinner. And he reflected on it and accepted it. God speaks to us. Do we listen? And finally, last thing is be patient. When you think of Moses, 
Moses, like I said, his journey, this journey at the burning bush, is one where he was terrified. It's one where the Lord said to him, do not draw near this place. Don't draw near. And yet on the mountain, he's face to face with him. It's a gradual progression. I need to be patient with myself, with my growth. I can't expect transformation, like complete change, 180 overnight. But I can fight. I can battle. I can put in my effort. And let God do the rest. Let God pour his grace. Let God work in me and transform me. God is the one that works in us. We just offer our struggle. And when we do and patiently wait on the Lord, with courage, we find that truly there is transformation in our life. Moses was transformed at the burning bush, but the change in him was gradual, and his experience of God grew over time. Patience is important. He says to him, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. And this is the idea of us too. If I want to see change in my life, I need to take off the sandals of the world, the dirt of the world, the sins of the world, or at least be willing to struggle against these things in my life. The more I do so, the more I, I, I separate myself from these distractions and these things that keep me away from truly seeing God in my life. The reality is, Habibi, sin is what blocks our sight of God. And repentance clears that sight. Repentance, genuine repentance, no matter how many times you fall, the genuine repentance on a daily basis is what purifies our eyesight to be able to see him the way Moses saw him on that mountain later on in his life. It requires us to remove the sandals, but be patient with yourself. I may repent and find myself returning to a sin. I'm not saying the sin itself is okay, but it's okay for me to say, I'm going to arise again. And again, one monk was once asked, what do you do in the monastery? He said, we fall and we arise. We fall and we arise again. Your last state is always a risen state. And that risen state allows you again to be able to stand courageous before the Lord with boldness and speak to him. And the more you speak to him, the more you get to know him. Remember Moses on the mountain again, the Lord came and said to him, he revealed himself to him and he said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is the Lord. This is who he is. He's merciful. He's kind. He's loving. He's compassionate. Never forget that, especially as you battle with sin. Don't justify your sin, but battle with this in mind. This is who my God is. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He is loving. He is kind. He doesn't clear the guilty. So I'm going to remain guilty if I don't repent. But he desires for me to repent and to return and to be purified by his grace, by his blood. May God grant us to truly know him as we walk bit by bit, step by step towards him. And may he reveal himself to us gradually as he revealed himself to Moses the prophet. And may we be truly in awe at the revelation of God in our lives so that we desire to spend more and more and more time in the divine presence. And to our God be the glory now and ever and unto the ages of the ages. Amen. Any questions? Can I just uh, share something Please. about uh, the breath? Because it, it's very oh, funny. <laughs> the funny thing about breathe. 
which is kind of proves to me this whole point is that how God has wired us to realize certain things that are so wired. So speaking of breath, which is now is becoming very prevalent in the world of like breathing and exercises and what that entails and what that entails um, to us. It's interesting when you look at the studies of even the word breath in a lot of languages across the world, the word breath is the same word for spirit. Okay, in the Hebrew, ruach, it's the same thing. You actually look at it in the English, you know, inspire, inspiration. Okay, even the holy inspiration, inspire what it is, it's a breathing in. And some people actually looked at this, that actually in the Old Testament, the name of God was the breath. How? Yahweh. Yahweh. So every time you get that reminder of to breathe, it is actually to say the name of the Lord, Yahweh. So it's even interesting that even from a linguistic perspective, the breath becomes the name of the Lord. So I find it fascinating how a lot of these things converge, that actually technology is converging on something that the Bible has even talked about from, from old. So thank you for the reminder. Thank you. Any other comments or questions or insight or... Okay, well, quiet room, so that's good. Thank you again, Bishop Gregory. Um...